and you're constantly competing, but not with the Joneses next door. Now you're competing. Oh, you want to you you want to um, create a painting, and oh, I'm gonna or I'm gonna create this small woodworking box, and you make a few, and then you check Instagram, and all of a sudden there's ten thousand other ones that are better than you, and you're immediately demoted internally, and because you're comparing yourselves to others. Welcome everybody to I Wish They Taught That in School. I'm your host, Mike Mulick. I asked people what they wish they were taught in school, and this is what they said. All right. We're rolling. How you All doing? Right. Good, good. Hey, thanks for thanks for, for uh thanks for doing this. Not nah, it'll be interesting. It's been yeah. a while since you ever done been a, on a virtual you ever done a podcast before um no i think maybe years ago we practiced one but i've never been on one but i've listened to plenty of them and yeah that's kind of where i draw a lot of my information for yeah, years po- podcasts podcasts are just the podcasts are the um just like just for like the last 10 years it's just been the been the hit with everybody and then i think before they were even called a podcast because i would laugh when they were originally called a podcast um i just called called them interviews because really they're interviews yeah long form interview yeah years ago before the streaming podcast i would go to this website called radioforall.net and i would download lectures and interviews that were somebody had captured and put in mp3 format and this was pre iPod even, and I would download them and then burn them to CDs. And that was kind of my original obsession with podcasts. I had hundreds of interviews off of that. And that's, I learned a lot from those and I just kept continuing. So, yeah, you're, you know, that's a, it's interesting how fast like technology is changing. And that's one of the things that I always like talking about you or I, I love talking about with you is just the um, you're a, just a huge fan of analog and yep. you and I had grown up through basically where the digital, what we called digital nomads. Migrants. We well, were digital right into it. Right. Who are the nomads? And they're the natives. We're nomads, but we're digital migrants. migrants. And they're heroes, possibly the millennials, but they're digital natives. And then the new, homelanders basically that's generation z <clears throat> that's what they call gen z yeah. so a lot of i mean there's a probably a lot of my audience is going to be the uh generation millennials some millennials probably. no i think i mean they're college college students I, I teach a class and then you you teach uh your age group is probably what 14 to 18 is that your yeah. age group 14 and and you're yeah. teaching mechanical engineering and, and automotives, right? Automotives, uh, machining and welding. So from CNC's to basic manual machining. So it's basically this course is called fabrication and machining. Automotives, I've got electronics class. I do robotics with actual robots, like FANUC robots. And then uh, like graphic arts, CAD, CAM, whatever, you know, everything but sawdust, they say right now. So all the hands-on, minds-on kind of classes. 
but we have a we have a lot of manufacturing in Wisconsin, so we we have very strong programs still. So, so. I had actually had a question from a student in Colorado, Jorge Luis. He um he want he wanted to know basically a few things about mechanical engineering. Like, what well, what do you think would be like the if you had only like a minute or two to just just tell someone like what is the what is the latest or what's the most important thing to know about mechanical engineering i would say you know a lot of people uh get into the pure design phase versus the application so a lot of engineers it'd be like if you went to be an anesthesiologist but you never did anything clinical or residency you just had all theory based so a lot of engineers take all their classes um, going into college and I'll have never seen them in a tech ed class. So they don't know, even know how a drill bit interacts with a piece of material or metal, or they've never created a thread um, with their own hands or with a machine. So they just don't understand um, materials and how things go together. So I would say the more you can take of theory and a hands-on, you'll be a much better mechanical engineer. Also, as a mechanical engineer, only roughly 30% of mechanical engineers might even be less at this point design actual they're they're like you know the designers and inventors the other 60% just maintain existing systems so you'll be at maybe a plant or some R&D facility and your job is to maintain whatever's already there the system so they maintain existing systems. So there might be a mechanical engineer at your hospital maintaining the um, heating and cooling system, which there probably is. But a lot of people don't realize that. They just think he's sitting there designing everything on CAD all day. Yeah, Some I like never you... even do that. Most don't. Yeah, I get. Uh, so the students that uh, that I've been talking to lately, they're a lot of them are sophomores juniors and seniors in college and one of the hottest things on their mind is a gap year basically like not really doing anything structural structured or traditional after college they want they need a like they want a break and uh and i don't it wasn't really like that for for me uh it hasn't really been like that for the other other age groups, but right now it's like they're all about like gap year. Like I want to do, and I actually I think it's great. I think it's great to like hit the pause button and just you know try try some different stuff. Of course, I don't know what it's like for. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I guess I've always had, but as a teacher, I've always had a, a small gap year within the year got it so there's always been a gap in the summer to explore and do what you want so that's yeah. one of the reasons i chose it i mean you only get so much time on the planet so we you get that block of time which you have your gap if you're going to go full time i think it's yeah important to explore or get something out of your system so you're not always wondering e either before college the year before or the year after probably would... the year after might be smarter i like i like that about the school year because it's like you you have your intense year and then you have a break to sort of 
you know, focus on other things. And it's like, yeah. then you kind of come back refreshed. And it's like, once you get out, mo- most jobs are not, they're not like that. You, you're just, <laughs> you're just in it like all the time. And it's like, I've, I've think I've recently come to realize I'm like, no, I don't think that's you. We need periods of time, periods of, of, of rest. And none of that really exists anymore in the, uh, well, I mean, some it's changing. There's like, we've got like the great resignation happening now where people are, people are just not working or they're, they're doing something different. So people are, people are changing. I think they're, they're starting to crave that and I, I thought that was always great natural like a na- something natural that was built into the school year i think yeah that i think that the trend of the great resignation is definitely i see it as it's slightly it is yes negative and people might be calling out everybody is lazy or not wanting to work but it's also could feed into a future where people are not just pushed into the standard 40 hour work week and that's what you have to do because that was established 100 years ago and that's just the way life is but what if you can get the work done in 20 you know so maybe one job will now require two people but they'll have more time to process do other things maybe they you know you know so they're not so beat down I think that's what's going to have to happen so employers will have to shift to hey we we need three people to fill this because they want to work less, which maybe they'll be more efficient. They'll be more on. Um, I think that's a, maybe a I think it's a possible super uh, positive future trend. So right now people are resigning. They're just saying, um, I choose not to instead yeah. of it, it's very interesting. Well, I don't, I guess I don't understand how if people are residing and they're not working as much we we're also seeing that the unemployment rate is super low. And yeah. I, and I, that part, um, I think all those numbers have always been, what maybe they they're not, that? not accurate. Yes. They're not accurate because they don't take into consideration people that have been out of work. I don't know what, whatever it was, a hundred days or 50 days. So that those right. people so, just go off the list. So really what, true unemployment if you took it in was probably i don't know that some people are estimating 24 30 percent you know like of true active able-bodied people certain age group that could work how many are so let's um well take take us back to uh college for you what what was it why did you uh decide to become a teacher i i assume that you did you have a major in uh, education then yeah, it's called technology education. And uh, basically, my parents were teachers. So, um, and I enjoyed always hands on stuff. I kind of wanted to be a mechanical engineer, but I couldn't, you know, just thinking, hey, I love mechanics. And all I did was work and fix things when I was young. And uh, I couldn't handle the classes at the high level, the theory classes, even in high school, like honors level. So I enjoyed my tech ed classes all the shop classes where I still applied my mind and was challenged so thought, wow it'd be a neat job you get to work with kids all day have your own facility build you know creative projects help kids get you know interesting careers so I that's I chose it basically sophomore freshman year of high school I decided to do that and that's I stuck to it so I think that you're 
I, I noticed that in my own class, I, I teach wilderness, wilderness medicine and the students, I, I mean, I think that the theory part and the didactics we do, that's all important, but what they really love, what they're really craving is getting outside and actually putting, putting something into, into practice, you know, like it was one thing to just sort of talk about, you know, splinting fractured bones. But when we actually got outside and we were putting each other in these casts, you know, they, they, they love that. And, uh, I noticed, first of all, we both taught, we both taught a year online and then we've taught, you taught before and before the pandemic and after. And uh, we've seen that basically the online thing is like you can only handle so much of that and that people just go crazy, both the teachers and the students. <laughs> yeah, it just doesn't, <clears throat> just not, it's not how we're set up to set up. You know, if we sat here for eight hours, it just wouldn't work. No. Um, so what, it, sorry, go ahead. No, no, keep going. So what, so what was the, your, your first job was after college was the teaching high school? Yep. Teaching okay. uh, classes in uh, wheeling and rolling metals, Illinois. I was tech ed down there. And then I moved to Crystal Lake and taught there for five years. So from a variety, mainly automotive and machining and welding classes was what I taught. And then you you uh had told me that you when you moved to sheboygan it was kind of like almost a setback financially but it was a worthwhile risk like what yeah was, what was it about that you you had left what i guess a lot of people would consider to be probably was a good something really good and then you took a risk to go to to go to sheboygan i don't know i guess i had uh I'd always been highly concerned with and got involved in like the whole peak oil movement. And I was following it very closely in energy and housing bubbles. And, and just the fact that I lived in a car all the time, the car dependent culture of Illinois. And I was in one of the top three paint districts, Crystal Lake. I was tenured, loved everybody I worked with, loved the job, but you know, Sheboygan has that more laid back atmosphere it's not car centric you can bike everywhere you can tell, you know, tell wait so let's talk about this for one second it's a car dependent culture just tell me a little bit about that because that's like that's a lot in a lot of a lot of american cities i mean people so some people are not even aware that there's a there's another way to be yeah there i mean if i i guess i will notice when i go to Europe this summer, that's what I'm looking forward to is just seeing the other way where it's uh, people focused communities and the car comes second versus the United States is set up as this, it's car central. So cars take the priority in a main street, you know, for parking, for movement and not pedestrians. So they're not pedestrian centered in Illinois. If you, you know, I mean, you grew up there, you know, it, it, when nobody talks distances, they only talk time. So how long does it take to get from here to here? Well, you'd say, well, it's an hour. Well, that's only 25 miles when you look on a map. So you end up spending so much of your time in a car. It's I mean, the same thing in LA, same thing in LA. It's like, and there's no could... reason for it there because the climate is so nice that you could have it 
you know, more human centered, I think. I've always, I've always been perplexed by, I mean, we could have people could be riding their bikes all year round. Uh, we don't, we get, I mean, in, in LA, we get what, not even 10 days of rain a year. It's crazy, but everybody's in, everybody's in their car. Yeah. All right. So anyway, so you, 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 uh, you knew that you wanted to be in a people focused, uh, community and Sheboygan had offered, offered that. I think you've also mentioned that there was a, uh, Burlington, Vermont doesn't have a certain appeal to it. Well, I think there's a few cities and then I think you can name, you can go through and find the list where there's like, and those cities all tend to have a a center street with restaurants, shops, um, theaters, whatever, where there's no cars allowed. So Madison has a uh, state street. Um, Boulder has Pearl street, Pearl street. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, Vermont and Burlington uh, that has a street too. Um, and you can start to pinpoint these different cities where there's no cars basically allowed. And they, it maybe it is a tendency to expand into the rest of the community, kind of that humans might come a little of more importance than just getting to work in the commute and where do we put the, put the cars every day and how, you know, a car centric. What's the, is there a street in, in Sheboygan that's no cars? At one time there was actually, when I moved, there was a, there was a, uh, actually it was two one ways. At one point they did block the street off from cars, but you know, just didn't have enough commerce to keep going. Yeah. But, but the rest of it is just basically, it's very calm, large, wide streets surrounded by, you know, one fifth of the fresh water in the world. The, the, what is that again? What the <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, oh, one fifth of the fresh water, yeah. Like in Michigan. the world. So, you know, like everybody's freaking out about in Arizona and, and wherever, you know, water shortages and Nevada and Las Vegas and obviously California too at some point, but that's the least of anyone's worries here. I think, you know, and yeah, that's I kind th- of an interesting concept, I think. If anyone yeah, here in the Midwest. The streets are so big in Wisconsin, so you could basically you don't even i mean you don't even have to really shut down the streets to feel comfortable i mean i know you don't need riding a bike your... lane they all have a natural a natural bike lane in town which is very interesting i think it has bike lanes but it's you know it's i'm able to bike to work all year and never be nervous you know the cars are a, a lane away from me so, so um how does that what do you think is the detriment to our society when it's a, a car centric type of a city? Um, just the, just the ugly landscape that we get in the, you know, we just, you know, we're kind of, I think uh, what James Howard Kunstler describes in his book, the geography of nowhere. So it's just like endless strip malls, you know, it's the same thing repeats everywhere. So if I come to LA or if I go to Colorado, if I go to Texas or Florida, it doesn't matter. I'm going to see the same chain stores on a strip mall that people have to drive to in their car with a giant parking lot. And it's just, I don't know, it's just, it's not where you look at the, how the main streets used to function pre-World War II. Um, you see a lot more commerce on, the, you know, people, there were still cars at 
and car centric slightly, but you know, it's more people centered. You didn't drive the distances. Suburbanization, obviously, you're dependent on car in Illinois because you live in the suburbs. You don't really have a town, small town, LA spread apart. So spread apart. Phoenix is like that too. Phoenix is like spread that. apart. Oh yeah, big time and strip malls. Although that, I guess the interesting thing is now people are more i mean more time than ever in history where it's what it's like the way we shop is completely different i mean we just gotta <laughs> we just my my wife just bought groceries yesterday and it just came to the house oh so she didn't even leave and so it's like you can what anything that you want you want fresh produce to the house or you know i needed something for uh i would if i need like i, I want i needed to I, I had I lost my swim goggles. I ordered swim goggles. Came like the next day, so it's like, is that going to? I mean, that valve that could potentially further destroy like the strip malls. <laughs> I yeah, I think so. I think I look at it as a positive because just imagine all the trips you would have needed to get all those different products in your own personal vehicle. Whereas that would be, let's say, five hundred people wanted a pair of. Yeah, or 50 people wanted goggles and different products and they're driving around whereas now there's one truck delivering to those 50 people so that's just well unless you were carbon emissions going down unless you were unless you could ride your bike to the store some people would argue that that would be a better way to do it is like don't do it online just ride your bike down but of course these these things are like sometimes they're so spread out like riding a bike might not be you know for a lot of people that's that's they don't they don't want to put the effort in to ride their bike a couple miles to get something yeah i yeah and i can totally understand it's just not it's not a safe way to 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 be you know to go through, to for transportation in a lot of communities you know it's oh, just, yeah like in la la is i mean that's there's it's almost like there's no incentive to ride your bike because you're if you don't have you, we have a few bike lanes. I mean, I'm not even in LA anymore. I'm in Ventura, which is more bike friendly and it's less car centric. But in LA, there's there's a high chance of just getting run over. <laughs> so there's no incentive for people to ride bikes in LA. No, it's I, I wouldn't blame them either, you know. But, you know, like uh, certain things where you see it people centric when we you go down to Venice beach where there's the bike paths and the walking and street performers i mean that's forms kind of its own community every day that people uh thrive they want they want to be a part of that they enjoy it and if so, you look at like places like disneyland or um this it's i forget the name of the park but uh the one that henry ford set up there's no cars uh that's kind of the one thing is it's still it's a people-centered so epcot center's like hey community before cars or disneyland there's no cars inside once you're in the land and people are yeah. wondering why they're happy well it's just a different feel it's a people-centric yeah it's interesting it is interesting and we now it's 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 become it's like we we should be able to have that everywhere but we're actually now that's become like sort of a a theme park that you pay for you pay for that experience whereas in like some places i mean you go to europe you don't need to pay for that you 
or like you said, Venice beach is a good example. You don't need to pay for that experience. You have, it's a total entertainment show. It's also like a built-in exercise machine. You basically can, you ride your bike or just walk and you see all the street performers. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's super neat. Um, I do see a positive trend with, I know a lot, most millennials don't crave or want to own a car. So I think I see that as positive going forward versus, you know, that was our way to meet and socialize with people when we were young was if you wanted to see someone, you had to have a car, talk to them on the phone or you would see them. You'd have, you had to have a car. Now, now you don't you need know, that. Do what we're doing right now or that you know, it's just okay. a different system. And, and so interesting, interesting what it, so I've been wanting to get into this with you, which is, to put the potential downside of the, of the tech explosion and the effects it has, uh, particularly on the younger generation, um, basically the effects on attention, uh, always having a, a smartphone, uh, the inability to, to allow themselves to be bored where are we headed with that? Is this, I mean, is this going to get better before it gets worse? Because there's it, one of the other things that comes up with my students is that it's like when they look online and they see that everybody is super successful, it puts so much pressure. Like you, you just, it's like, you just can't even, you, 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 you can't, it's like impossible to, to not compare yourself to like, all the different people that are doing things online. So what's your yeah, take I, on, what's your take on, on where we're headed and <clears throat> that? Um, so you're talking about kind of that, the book I was, I really enjoyed that over success book. And basically that's the people suffer, suffering from status defeat. And uh, I think there was, there was an article on the iPhone generation and I don't know how many years ago it came out, but it few, but it traces the point at which the iPhone comes out in 2007. And it traces all the bar graphs go up and up with um, attention spans, depression, anxiety among youth age groups as, as the years go on. So as the, the phones and the technology become stronger, more people become more connected. They also become more socially isolated. Um, <clears throat> more depression, more anxiety, more suicide. It went into all kinds of different trends. It was very interesting to see all the graphs match. So is that no arguing? And nobody, nobody's saying use more technology. It's it's better. Everybody knows there's something underlyingly wrong with how much people are using it. So who is the iPhone generation? Is that basically like is that are those people that were teenagers in two thousand? when the iPhone came out? So it would be, well, it would be, yeah, basically digital natives. So anybody of age, they might've been young at that point. They could have been given the iPhone at age seven, age five, you know, everybody, hey, this is great, it's technology. And even Steve Jobs was like, hey, it's a place you can store info and you could do a video conference and store your music. And he never saw what, what it would turn into, kind of the monster that's described in the, you know, everybody, a lot of people have seen the recent movie social dilemma. I think they did a great job 
And ah, I'm we, glad you brought, yeah. We need more trends of that. I think the main person covering it for years is Sherry Turkle from MIT. Um, her books, um, Alone Together, it's just absolutely amazing. And she's been researching these trends since the early 90s and technology use and the social effects and emotional effects on humans. And they're just, she's a, a great speaker, great writer, and I think. It, and it's hard to argue with her. Nicholas Carr is also another great author. Uh, that's he calls it the shallow. So you know you're stuck in the internet. We all we all we've all done it. Where we you know we need to we want to be distracted from distraction by being distracted. You know, so we click on this click click click, and pretty soon a half hour an hour is gone, and we don't know where it went. And you kind of left with this kind of sick feeling in your stomach like, sick what did feeling I yeah it just sucked you in so again i think we have to decide what is technology it's not neutral um and everyone will always claim hey i'm not a luddite i guess i am kind of a luddite meaning like hey these technologies they're they weren't we didn't get into a giant meeting and decide hey this is the best thing for you if we if we you know we the technologies are developed and we watch them as an experiment whereas like if you watch the amish they wait out the technology they're really only 40 50 years behind us they have meetings they say okay yeah we'll use it we can use it as a tool or an instrument so a tool or an instrument in technology you play an instrument i have i work with tools we all have tools. They enhance the human capability. They're basically non-addictive, but you build a skill set when you're using them. Um, a device, in, in, in essence, will diminish you. So it just it requires nothing of you. It's just pulling from you. So kind of like us growing up just staring at the television. That's you know, it's a device. Yes, it could be used to learn a few things, and it could, there's healthy programs. But again, it's not an instrument or a tool. You're, you're not enhanced, you know, every day you go to work and you use tools and instruments to save people's lives. Devices, it's, you know, it's those, we need to break it in almost like a diet. And if I think maybe in a, in a future of technology use, we look at it as a diet, how much did you use instruments, tools, and how much did you use your devices? Or, or and start thinking about, you know, how you're using those things and did I, was it all device that day or was, did I, you know, enhance myself? You know, so I think, you know, if you're looking at a book, that's a, that's a, that would be a, a tool or an instrument. And, you know, it takes a long form. It takes attention. A lot of people don't even have that capacity anymore. You know, we grew up when we had to be faced with, with boredom, with solitude. And I hope there can be a trend to, help people get back to that or enjoy the ba balance. And right now we're way too far to one spectrum and the technology is, it's too, it's too, it's too strong. It's too powerful for our dopamine receptors, our brains at this point, you know, that are whatever we are, technology, primitive technology of 50,000 year old or 200,000 year old brains, whenever homo sapiens come out and, uh, we're running that that software or that we're running modern software on that old hardware. So we just, we don't have the capacity for it. God, that, uh, 
in that movie, that movie, uh, social dilemma that the, <laughs> there's this part where the guy's, uh, phone is in the glass case. The parents put it in the glass case and then, yeah, then they got the little, uh, they had the 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 little algorithm was like a, had a personality and they're like let's let's get this guy back online and they and they said your uh your ex is now in a new relationship and he like smashes the case to get his phone back yeah i mean that was like oh, yeah. that's the that's like the most that's the powerful point of the whole book it's just like this guy just he bashes open the thing he's like i gotta get my phone back <laughs> yeah it's all, just always on never a, a point you know, to stop and reflect. And I feel, you know, I feel bad. Obviously I'm glad I didn't, I could have never handled that situation growing up with that much. Well, is it, I think one of the, one of the tricky things is that the phone has so many uses, the smartphone has so many uses. And so if you want to, I mean, people don't really carry, they don't need to carry a a camera anymore because the cameras has gotten so good but it's also your phone but since you have camera then you're also always available by text and then of course then there's like the social media apps and like sharing your stuff and it's like before you know it you've got like you know 50 different apps on your phone and then you're just kind of like always on it but yeah. if you were if you could somehow just remember to use it as a as a tool as a tool but i think a it's tough because a, a camera you're all, is a tool it's all if, but if it's always in your pocket then it's you're just always with it I mean, if you're, you want to document and you can and you want to check in with your um even purchasing something i would say you know off amazon that's a tool it's an instrument um scanning instagram watching you letting the algorithm people just type in a search engine you had to type what you wanted it didn't like auto correct it didn't auto whatever you call that imprint the next letters and figure out what you want that happened at a certain year and basically started choosing for people pointing them you know and and again I think uh, the internet, uh, one, one uh, I think it was Sherry Turkle's quote, she says, when you go on the internet, you only see twigs and branches. So, you know, you see a few things. and You see a few you things. So it, let's say you go into a library, you see the forest, you see every possible category right there in front of you. Oh, yeah. You got what I'm saying. You see the forest. There's a forest, so it points you. If the internet could be set up slightly like a forest, so you looked at it like almost like Google Earth, I would think the new search engine, and you would say, well, I want to focus on medicine, but medicine branched off into these different branches, and then it might take you into this avenue, whereas now you just type one thing, and the first five things are usually selling you something on a Google search. Yeah, the library is so... What an underestimate, underrated, beautiful. I went to the library yesterday and I, I could get so much work done. It's so quiet. Yeah. And it's like, but libraries are like threatened bookstores, like good, good. You know, I mean, even the bookstore chains like are, are, it's a much, much better place to be than being lot like lost on your phone. Yeah. Well, let's go just, back but, to, let's go okay. back to this, um, 
uh, book that you mentioned, I believe it, I, I wanted to just make sure that we get the author's name. So over success by uh, Jim Rubens. Yeah. Jim Rubens. So, so yeah, I just picked up a copy of that. It just arrived yesterday, but um, that ties into the, I think the issue of people seeing who has done what, and then feeling pressure to achieve more is that is it is it a is it an uh, online phenomenon or was it did it was it a phenomenon before the online uh, before the internet explosion it's a phenomenon before so the book's written 08 so again people say well that book is old now and that's one of the trends i also can't stand is well if something's two or three years old it can't be relevant and that's just not you know if something's done well it can be relevant that's the goal is to make it relevant for oh, a yeah. long period look he's at Sen- writing this seneca seneca's stuff is yeah exactly every, people steal seneca all the time and people think it's new <laughs> yep exactly yeah that's that's the kind of stuff that i think interests me and i think all the podcasts and all the information and things that the trends there are positive things that the heck we know about now because of all these different people trying to find a connection to something that's timeless and has meaning when we're all kind of in search of this. So what, what's the point of all this, you know, um, in this hamster wheel, we, we run on in this country that runs really fast. And I think in that over success book, yeah, it's like you, you got to stay on the wheel and you're constantly competing, but not with the Joneses next door. Now you're competing. Oh, you want to, you'll, you want to um, create a painting and, oh, I'm going to, or I'm going to create this small woodworking box and you make a few and then you check Instagram and all of a sudden there's 10,000 other ones that are better than you. And you're immediately demoted internally because you're comparing yourselves to others. And uh, the male brain tends to compare itself to others because at least it was described in the book was male brain is more dopamine receptors it's more um, accessible to status defeat and we see the major demographic of people that are dying in this country of death by despair males aged 38 to 58 um alcoholism suicide um, substance abuse long term um all all kinds of you know massive depression maybe these people were at a lower education level, they've lost a job, they've, you know, they are, have gone through a divorce and there's just no way to re, restart, reboot. Um, and, the, you know, it gets back into these the primal thing is, is the male's job, you know, provide, procreate and protect. And if you can't provide, you don't feel a use. Um, and it's even showing the book had some interesting trends and even, Things are starting to show that, you know, females have been increasing their median income since, you know, since the women's movement of the 1970s and the male income, median income. I'm not talking about the top, you know, 2% that make the, the mean, the average go up and think males make more than women because women right now in this country and the majority of 80% of the major cities in the income range from 20 to 80,000 females make more in ages 20 to 45. The majority of females make more than males in those age. So the problem is the male then 
the brain is set up this in a marriage where the female tends to make more than the male, they, the divorce rates are higher or the incomes become closer. It just because it's a weird dynamic. And I don't know if we'll re shift the society back. And, you know, I'm not saying that to go negative or go backwards, but there needs to be a focus on, you know, males are suffering. Youth are suffering young male. There's, a, there's, it's a culture that's kind of put down. Not all males are ma the masculine dominant, you know, patriarchal. There's the huge majority of males are just normal people and they're suffering and in youth and throughout the age. So I think, I think we might see a trend. That's one of the reasons I think we see a uh, great resignation. I think we see males opting out. They're opting out of marriage. They're opting out of work. They're out, you know, they're just sitting at home. I don't know what they're doing. I mean, we've got massive video game addiction from, you know, age, you know, whatever, four to males in their, almost in their forties at this point that uh, because of the male brain and its susceptibility to addiction, to moving an object through space. So male brain is more right brain. So I see it all the time in my students. So if you have a room full of students and they're left on their devices, to their own devices, the females will tend to um, look at social media and, you know, text back and forth, maybe check, you can see a scrolling window, you know, maybe they're checking feeds and the males will tend to, and this doesn't matter, 14, I watch them do the same exact thing because I'll have the same students for an, a homeroom period. From age 14 to 18, they will play the same basically multiplayer or single player 8-bit or very rudimentary boring I call it, think they're boring but just low 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 uh resolution kind of um games they won't stop the males night so 80 to 90 percent of those males will be playing a game on their phone now you talk experiment I watched it happen I've watched it happen I'm watching and it gets stronger every year because that's just their brain is set up to want that novelty, the next thing that move that object through space. It's a false, um, it's a false positive. So they think they're actually accomplishing and doing something, yeah. but they're not. Well, that Sebastian Younger wrote a book called Tribe that oh, I he, love that book. He addressed. Uh, it, it was interesting when he had talked about males and ha feeling young males feeling purpose when yes. they were sent off to war and if they didn't have uh, some type of a battle uh they they didn't have a sense of purpose and we live in such an interesting safe society where uh you know people aren't really you're not saving someone from a fire because we've got the fire department and if there's a medical emergency we've got a great 911 system and it's hard to be it's hard to be a hero in a, a, a very safe uh, society so uh young men i think this sebastian younger had had kind of put it in his book that since they don't have that they they might go out and start to create their own um crazy in, initiation type of uh or go go to war uh type of uh, situations and there's 
lots of different ways that that could go. Like that could be uh, just getting into uh, drinking, you know, Ex like sort of extreme types of, 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 of things. Yeah. Especially for the, especially for the teenage, teenage, teenage men. We, we yeah, there's no rite of passage in this country. Rite of I passage. Yes. We need every, we need a rite of passage. And I think that book, is just yeah that that book is great i think that's uh, a reread list but definitely it's it's a short quick book anybody can do it and it uh helps you focus on we're arguing and nitpicking and then people are set up differently you know some people are like you said genetically conservative individuals and some are more liberal they're more, more empathetic and we need those two types of individuals so uh, um those like you saying those soldiers we might you know a liberal might well they're just evil and they want to kill and they say they feel a sense of purpose and a belonging and a, a hero complex which we all slight we all have that hero complex inside of us um and they we need that we need that uh, rite of passage if you talk to anybody that you know that has been in the they, you know it's usually a very it's a pivoting point in their life. They look back on it. Maybe it was only two years or four years, but it's, uh, it's always very important to them. And they feel then they, they, they've crossed that path or that bridge. Whereas most, you know, if we had societies where we were in 150 group bands, we would all have rites of passage. We'd all have that, that, uh, point where we could go across. And I think, uh, one of the books, two books that I think are the best are for that is, Fire in the Belly, Sam Keens, and uh, Iron John by Robert Bly. That's just, you can watch uh, some of his videos and podcasts. These were early 90s things that we're starting to see. You know, we had the gang movements and drug movements in our generation. We had, you know, we didn't, that were uh, extremely violent. And again, it was youth and men with no rite of passage. Sports are a good rite of passage. I mean, as much as they sports, are, yeah, I was going to say they sports, have they, athletics. They, they, they offer some. They offer the male a competition. Place to be a, yes, a tribe, a competition. Healthy competition. Yes, and but not everybody's athletic, and so we need to focus also on not just those competitive sports, but these lifelong activities um, that give that can help people. You know make themselves better, get, get a sense of flow, um, have an active lifestyle, work with them. You know, you're happy because you meet a friends group that also enjoys your, uh, what you, what they are doing outdoors. Let's just say it was mountain biking or it, on your case, surfing. Um, even if it was just hiking or orienteering or, um, you know, just and a lot of people are in road bikes and they, they ride with a group or group rides and they just, that's where they get their flow and they, that's their bonding and their tribe. And we all need a tribe and those lonely people, mm -hmm. you can get your tribe and your tribe can be playing, not candy crush, but let's say uh clash of clans with, with five other youths all day long. And that's probably what's happening in Fortnite in town, town right now. Cause I don't see my students. They don't come outside. All summer, once in a while, you very rarely do I see them. They're, so what? Their social pressure is the group video game. So what is you you so you taught before, uh, before the pandemic, during, now, what's the what what have what have you, 
I guess, uh, in, in terms of your students, it, are things worse now than before the pandemic? I would say that they are, were enhanced and worse at the beginning of the year. They're, they're getting better, but I think the effects of people being isolated, not socialized, completely forced to stare at a screen because they had to be at school. Some had to be online for seven, eight hours a day. Um, had just serious effects that will be far reaching for years. And far reaching. Whether it's a delay, yeah. far reaching. I mean, everybody will always remember it as a part of it. I mean, that was maybe our common bond, our rite of passage. It was our the society's common suffering, but I don't know how much of a suffering it was. Um in terms of sacrificing versus, you know, a sacrifice of people during World War II. Whereas this was, you know, checks arrived from the federal government. We're all taken care of. We could order everything online. Um, yeah, there was a couple shortages, what, of toilet paper, but really how hard did life become? We could kind of stay at home. It was calm. We didn't have to be on the hamster wheel for certain people not essential workers. They like you had to go to work, you were more stressed. And, and I think after the non-essential workers got a taste of it, now you're kind of seeing a resignation, people working from home. Maybe a positive trend comes out of it. I think it will. There was certainly but, a mental a mental uh suffering. Yeah. Now well, that's very, interesting. Very I much. you and I had a sort of a mere uh like a mere almost the opposite of uh early first part of the pandemic uh i didn't miss a, like i wasn't there wasn't a single day where you know we, we i just kept going to work you know we didn't we didn't we didn't we obviously we changed what we were doing but we were still going to work and doing cases so i just kept going to work and that was stressful but at least i was like in the act of doing and i'm just like okay i'm just like i'm doing i'm in it you know and i think it that could be that was different for a lot of other people where they were they were at home but you had you were um so take us take take me take take us through the uh sort of the early part of the pandemic because you said actually that that 2020 was was a good year for you well i guess it kind of gave you me a taste I mean, I've always had the summer as a partial, you know, time to do another job or travel or build projects or, you know, just do something different, take a, take a mental break from work, whereas you don't necessarily have that. Most people don't. Um, and that's what it, COVID gave an even more extreme, at least in that first one where people were just kind of online and it was kind of functioning, barely functioning. It was just like, hey, just, you go through the motions, make sure everybody's doing okay. Here's some stuff. Nobody really know how to do it. And so you had all this time. Well, some people can't handle a lot of time and people were afraid to go do things. I guess I was less afraid. Um, I continued to work, to travel, to fly on airlines. Sometimes there'd be six people on the flight. It was just like this amazing period where I thought, you know, professional sports shut down. I just thought, wow, this will never happen again in our life. So all these things that are kind of 
false tribalisms, uh, distractions, not to say that they're completely negative, but they were all stopped and people had to reflect. And a lot of people, most people hated it. I thought it was, I don't know. I thought it was kind of, maybe that was the next step into that, uh, high period, but you know, streets that were empty in Chicago, seeing the freeways empty, it just, it would seem very positive and quiet and like, wow, what we can, we're still functioning. We're all still here. We don't uh, need this hamster wheel. And now the hamster wheel is back on harder than ever. Harder than ever. Right. Uh, just uh, than ever. explain to us, you, you just referenced uh, uh, the, the turning, the fourth turning book, I believe, because you talked about the high, high period. Uh, so for like, yeah. I, I, some people don't know, there's a book called the fourth turning and uh, the authors describe these, uh, a cycle of human history where there's like a high period, um, an unraveling, a crisis. And uh, I think it's pretty clear, it's been clear for a long time that we're in the crisis period. And the last, and what is it, every 80 to 100 years, there's like a crisis. Yeah. And we're kind of like, it's been, the last crisis was uh, in the end of the 30s and 40s. That was World War II. And then... Uh, what was the yeah. previous crisis was what civil war and revolutionary war. Right. So I guess the thing is, so anyway, back to your point, you were thinking perhaps the crisis is over with, but it doesn't seem over with now we've got 600, more than 600 mass shootings in America just since this year. And, and, and who are, and who are they? They're, they're young, young men, young, isolated males, young, isolated males. Yeah. That feel, you know, they were, they have a lack of a sense of purpose, a tribe. And that's their last, a lot of times that's their last attempt to be somebody or their tribe. And so that's an interesting, cause I, I had been really asking myself what, what would prompt a person to take the lives of men not just men and women, but also young children and, and that, that they didn't even know, but maybe you're onto something is that really? it was their last attempt to prove that there's something to leave the earth saying, I accomplished some, look what I did. I'll prove to you all I'm something. And I think that's kind of, that's the dichotomy of it. That's, I don't know, psychology, whatever the evidence is kind of pointing that, that that's what's happening. So yeah, guns kill people. These are, you know, guns with almost no recoil that you can just unload 50 bullets into a crowd and feel and be very accurate with them. And, you know, should certain, should certain weapons obviously be controlled, only certain people allowed to use them. We, you could go on and on about the debate, but again, we need to have a shift and our focus should be on um, what's happening with these males. How can we get into mentor groups, rites of passage? Um, most of these males are, yeah, are what's isolated. That, what's that? What's Bullied. Who is the, who are the group? Where, where did it happen where there was like the first uh, oh bungee jumping? There was, oh. I think that was that in Australia, you know, where they were. Uh, or in Africa, I don't know where, but there were the uh, young males or maybe not just males, but young people would actually jump off a cliff, but they were, they had their ankles tied to these vines 
that was a rite of passage. It was a rite of passage for a oh, that's interesting. for a, a group of a group of people. This was before it became popularized and commercialized. Yeah, and that's 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 very interesting. And yeah, it did. I mean, you and you can watch these old videos of these guys, these guys doing it. There's like there's no, you know, uh, <laughs> there's like no. So no there's no elastic. You just basically that. I mean, they don't, you know, and it, the crowd and then the crowd goes crazy. But uh, I I don't know. I've I've done a couple bungees in, in New Zealand. I did a few bungee jumps off the Koato Bridge and it's like it's intense, man. It's intense. And I'm 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 glad I did it. And I I it's a but that's a powerful, powerful feeling you're of uh, standing up on that bridge and trying to fight against that. uh everything in your brainstem tells you, no, you cannot do this. This is incompatible with life. And then you, you do it. It's like you're, you feel pure. Uh, it's like joy and uh, ecstasy jump it. Like, you know, cause when you don't, you don't fall into the river and the thing snaps you back. It's like, it's an epic moment. Yeah. I I haven't, I'm, would be too afraid to do it. I think you've had a lot of rites of passage in life and challenge yourself and, you know, on your own, you created your own rites of passage and that's important. So maybe that's it. So if we don't, if we don't provide rites of passage for young people, they'll create their own. You got it. They'll join a gang. They'll maybe do it through substance abuse. Um, violence petty crime something for attention to be part of a rite of passage a group i don't see anything wrong with with i mean there yeah what gangs end up doing but i don't fault anybody for joining a gang um because that's you know ingrained in our head our our social dynamic to be part of a tribe i was uh when i was in high school my uh i had a real a really good mentor um a gym teacher and because it, it went we weren't it wasn't just about the athletics but it was also about you know uh, he brought all these other elements to it and about being a better person but he he talked about this thing I always wanted to try this but he would talk about there was some community that would a rite of passage would be to stand facing the sunset and you watch the sun go down and then you turn 180 degrees and you stand there and you wait for the sun to come up you basically just stand and you just stand there and you you wait the whole night and i've never i've always huh. thought about it but i'm like i i've never been able to bring myself to actually go and <laughs> go and do that but that's that's a rite of passage for uh for some culture that's pretty cool i thought i don't know uh we'd have to i'd have to look that up and see who who did that but that's that's a non-violent i mean that's a that's a hard feat i mean you just stand there no phone <laughs> no nothing yeah, no your own thought just staring at the stars and i yeah yeah all you're just standing there I, you know I, that's pretty interesting i think these are that's going to be one thing that'll i that'll be going to have to have something. We're going to have to have some kind of focus, maybe more all boys schools. Um, 
more, you know, because boys end up learning different than the female brain and the school is more centered on working best with how females learn. And uh, I mean, these are all positive trends. I don't see that any of this occurring. We can talk about it, but uh, you know, will it happen? I don't, I don't necessarily think so. I think we'll have to reach a breaking point. And do we so go, you think that route? We, gotta... do we go the route of Mad Max or do we, you know, do we right. have a Renaissance? I don't know. I, so we're I, not, we're not out of the crisis then. No, we're not out of the crisis. And uh, I kind of see the Gen X generation, the people that have seen both paths, we already know. So when you want a Renaissance, a Renaissance is when you look to the past. I remember reading that. So we can look to the past. We know what a previous life of a non, a pre non, um, always on internet existence is like. If you were to shut the internet down, I mean, that would have been a major deal in COVID. If there was power outages and the internet was down, then people would have really had to think and go out and talk and speak. But we haven't had a true common suffering like that. We can just get back on the um, pacifier and we all do it. I do it myself. Do you think that the internet pacifier? Do you think that uh, eventually people are going to get to a point where they just, they just get so sick of it that they basically just go, we're like there's a whole a movement where people are we're like we're just forget it we're not on our phones anymore like we're we're sick of this we're done we're we're seeing it people that from burnout of it and they'll go on a a detox almost like a diet uh, a digital diet basically we're seeing diets right now yeah um but we're not seeing we're seeing crash diets or or trendy diets we're not yeah. seeing like um well you got to replace with, it with something now one of the things it. A lot of the, so if someone's listening to this and they don't, they don't, they don't know, they don't know you that well. Uh, I know that when I've been over to your house and I, I go, we go into your basement, it's basically like, it's all analog and it's so cool. And you're just like, you can enjoy, you've got the, uh, a turntable. And so it's a analog music system, listening to music. There's like the, is that an eight track there as well? Um, yeah, I got kind of. I enjoy all the audio and video. The basically, nothing, technology. nothing is really like more recent than like the '90s, and there's a certain tranquility with uh, an- uh, analog. You're, it's like you feel more connected to. Uh, whatever the device is because it's like that device has that one purpose and actually that and the the technology is good there's no you know it's like a lot of people say like oh it's got to be digital you know it's like i don't know i mean i love i love listening to we were i was listening to records the other night i like i think the sound is way better i mean a lot of people like music has changed so much because of how people play it on their device but i think it's I'm re- I really enjoy like you know sitting back and listening. We got this like 1950s uh uh credenza in our in our den. So the speakers are it's like not really that sophisticated, but the sound is amazing. And so I if I play a Radiohead album on that phonograph 
you know, it doesn't sound weird because it wasn't really equipped to handle that. But when you play music from that era, it just sounds like beautiful. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I just and again, you don't need the Wi-Fi signal on that thing. It's it's a mature technology, a record, a book. You can just lay there on the shelf for 50 or 100 years and you'll be able to use it. But, you know, good luck looking at all the pictures we've taken digitally. If good they're luck not stored somewhere physically. You can't, I don't can't know. possibly watch all the video that you've shot. <laughs> no, no. And will it all be there for us in 30 years? Will you be? I mean, most of my most of the CDs, have a lot of them have deteriorated that I recorded, you know, 25, 30, 25, 30 years ago. They just don't work um, or they're over scratched or but some of these analog things like um, the best way to store is magnetic. Um, because it's basically indestructible it could be put underwater it can sit in higher yeah. temperatures built to last yeah it's built to last it, it just the record to, it, so it's always there it's kind of like a giant free hard drive that requires it was a lot of energy to produce at one point but then it just sits there and uh can be accessed at any point it's kind of a nice and it forces the listening experience so rather than skipping immediately to the next thing the next thing the next thing always trying to um, optimize. So kind of, we're always over-optimizing, like trying to get the best deal, the best decision, or what's the best song list, you know, and we're, we've got anxiety from too many choices. Too know, many what, choices, yeah. What, That's what, what Kierkegaard said, yeah. The, the, age of the, is, uh, the age of the album, like the album used to be, it was so cool because the artist would take you on a journey. And it's like yep. not not every song was like, a, a bestseller or like a huge hit but together as a whole it was kind of like an up and down journey and yeah. that's not what a spotify playlist is and a spotify play like people i have never i i'm surprised how little i i recall of like what the songs like titles and the artists are whereas before like i knew and I don't I'm not sure I guess I have to check with my with my students and see what they feel like but I I used I I know all like the names of the songs and the names of the albums and now I don't like these and I st I'm listening to all new music I'm still listening to new music I'm just like it's just not as not as memorable for some reason yeah I it's definitely I'm glad we Again, that's the stage, the period we went through in life. We had to, I would say, no generations adapted to more than ours. Um, we because saw of the digital stream changes, the digital generation. They could say, "Oh, they're so adaptive. They've had so many." There's really been one device, a smartphone, and is it really any different? It might be faster or have a few different apps, but that's not adapting. I mean, we were shown 16 millimeter projectors. We ran Apple IIEs with a floppy drive where you actually had to type, you know, catalog forward slash slash colon B run to get a directory and whatever, however it worked, you know, you had to use those were instruments and tools. And now the computers kind of become a device where people mainly just all they really need is a, 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 a Chromebook. They're on Chrome, you know, it's doing everything. Whereas like if you have it, I have a laptop. And it's 26 software programs. Um, I guess it's a tool, an instrument. It has a CAD program. It has, 
Illustrator, it has Photoshop, it has, you know, movie editing. Those are tools and instruments. Um, and it's, again, it's not a device then. I'm using it and you're, you're, in, you're creating a skill. Again, a tool or an instrument makes a skill, a device, does it, it nobody's, re, you know, oh, they're computer savvy, but most, most of these kids are not tech savvy when you get down to the bottom line. They can't, they can't adapt or actually use the, the, the device as a tool or instrument anymore. So that just that gives me a good idea. I should actually start off my uh, first class of the year with uh, bringing out my bring my turntables to class and just say, like, can you guys well, <laughs> do you think I would <laughs> I would do a tape? I think people understand records where they put a needle on it. Yeah, they do not understand the tape. Um, the tape you know, like tape this deck. is side I still one. have this my tape deck. Is yeah. it going forward or back? If I reverse it, did you know that like a true tape deck could have tape advance and actually find the gap between the songs? So when you recorded, you would put a small gap so you could go three or four songs ahead. Nobody realizes those cool features that were on. I think, yeah, most kids could never use a tape player. I think they might figure out a record, but yeah, tapes. And they were smaller. They didn't scratch. They didn't skip. They never failed. Uh, hardly if they did you put a little piece of tape on them and off you go again a little piece of that tape yeah CDs. or once in a CDs while the, uh, once in a while the car tape deck would like mess it up and so that yep you'd have the strands all over the place the and then strand. you had to use it wind it you could wind it with it with a with a pencil <laughs> it was incredible yeah you could, incredible. you could adapt good luck fixing your cd when it's scratched no yeah yeah so, so well let's um I want to I want to get into um, sort of like the second half of the pandemic, because I know that initially you had a chance to reflect on life and take uh, an extended break. But uh, but then as as things started to sort of get back to in person, how did that how, how was that for you personally? sort of like the second half of the pandemic. I'm going to have to plug in my charger quick. So the second, yeah, this, the second half, I would say the start, we came out thinking, hey, 2021 school year starting, everybody's back in person. We were unmasked. Yeah, we we're thinking masked. it's over. We're like, hey, yeah, this is over. great. We're over. It's, it's so, over. We're back to normal. So, yeah, all this, I mean, we, we're having all these COVID things. And it's, it's like I've been in a cesspool of students with no masks. So I, to me, it's like I pretty much and most people have ignored. Like COVID's been over physically with the mask situation. Some have still worn it. But so we thought it was going to start clean. But basically, these people were highly delayed. They had no social skills. Um, many, most of them. Um, lots of out outbreaks verbally violent kids just wandering how like you know you got to figure a kid that had no parents at home or they were both work or had one parent and they was working they might have been a, a freshman might have not been in school since sixth grade they never logged in they never did anything they're just were running wild and had no social structure and uh, so there was some serious damage to overcome and that would that happened across the country. So I could talk to someone in Colorado. Um, yeah, our friend Craig, everybody dealt with the same, didn't matter where. 
and it was basically the detriments of which i would say the mental and social aspects that are the younger generation suffered from the schools being virtual were just were just horrible and maybe we should have taken an approach to protect the elderly and isolate them instead of isolating the whole culture well we'll look back and we'll know one day you know what was the appropriate decision yeah there were outliers of youth that got sick and stuff but it was not like the first influenza that affected the youth and killed children you know so we we killed them socially and mentally for a year and uh, it's maybe the greatest experiment ever appropriated on a, a worldwide civilization think about it i mean it's unbelievable um that everyone was put through it and the ones that demographically you know were worse off suffered terribly and so school started off was very stressful all the teachers it was like the first year teaching after 20 years everybody was stressed burnt you just couldn't get them get going couldn't get a little momentum so was it was it uh, problems was that hard for you uh as a teacher because it was so hard for them because it was so um because then basically because there was an effect that the then the the teachers act like the teachers are actually feeling uh the the effects of yeah it was like you went backwards into the basically everybody went backwards into the future and uh mid-semester you know people started recovering we'll see if next year starts a little bit you know like hey this stuff is still dragging on though in the media and you know it's just we we just need a sense of normalcy and uh and then you know we we're forced to teach differently all the different things that happened and basically uh you know people were were you know went through a a burnout phase so i guess i was very relaxed calm during during the covid 2020 you know just things they everything slowed down and i kind of you know i don't know if it's selfishly but just like it was it was very neat to see the calming effect on society not always having to be on call for everybody and things slowing down and sports not and it's people i guess with their families more and people with their close friends and networks and i thought maybe there'd be some renaissance but then it just went fast again and yeah i don't know and then obviously at a at a certain age everybody feels a what do you call that midlife malaise or something and or midlife crisis which is true and it happens to the majority of people at some point in their life and so all those things kind of combined in on me so that was a tough it was a tough year and I kind of you know read my way through it and read the history and stuff and basically you know every it, it will turn around but if you have no way of talking with anybody or reading or figuring it out I think that's what you you start to see these deaths by despair and people spiral. They so go what, through that and they don't have a second purpose or like uh, the book I like is David Brooks uh, book that really helped a lot called the second mountain. So it's like the second mountain, the first and Richard Rohr's book. Um, 
I forget the name of it right now, but it's basically like the first stage of your life is, you know, filling your container with all these experiences and doing all these things. And what is it that creates you? And then, and then the second half is figuring out what the contents of that container are, what they mean. And, or, uh, the second mountain is, you know, it's not all about you. It's becomes more about, you know, um, giving back or creating a, a higher purpose. So I think I oh, I'm middle-aged, so that's, that's what happens. And I, you know, what about if, uh, someone's listening to this and they're going through a hard time and whether they're age 20 or they're 40, any, any, anything that you might be able to tell them that you like, well, let's say for example, like, what would you, what would you go back and tell yourself, uh, if you were like, you could go back to your 20 year old self and give a piece of advice. I think, I don't know. I just thought I was, I think when I was 20, we didn't have all these systems in place and it was, it was, it was a little slower world. It was a more analog world that it was you know you really felt the experience you're in the moment i i enjoyed my 20s more i utilized them as much as possible with traveling and reading and doing projects and hanging with out with friends and getting cultured and eating and learning so many things it was just amazing so don't waste your 20s a lot of people waste their 20s they uh focus what can their- a what what can a 20 a 20 year old do or someone that's in their twenties, like what, how can, how can they not waste it? Like what, like, let's say they're stressed and they're, you know, yeah. trying to figure out what to do. Like what and they, they're, they're much more stressed than we were. Um, so it's, you know, you're always trying to get to the next step, the next step. And then when finally you're there, they, they have no sense of purpose. And basically the, the antidote to, to, um, depression a lot of time is, is passion. So you need to find a passion, whether, you know, any, some, some type of hobby, skill, experience, flows, every, you know, and once you have a, a passion, I mean, that's really what keeps a lot of people, their hobbies and interests and passions kind of the reason they go to works. They get there at work because they're saving up or earning or thinking about, Hey, the next step is how can I do what I'm really passionate about? And, you know, that's where you get that good life balance and uh just only doing your and thinking your work is going to be your your main avenue for your passion or your purpose is not necessarily i think that's cal newport saying don't follow your passion you know do whatever you can i was just thinking about doing a revisit of his book cal newport wrote uh uh, deep work which i think is worth a revisit it's very appropriate for this time in our (laughs) our life well it sounds like you're uh you're optimistic for the future but we just have to kind of get get through it um If, if, if there can be you know good you know uh mentors leaders i guess these podcasters are in theory mentors for the youth i was gonna i was gonna say like are you do you have uh could, who who would be like sort of your three top influential mentors, whether they were in person or sort of like a 
po- or a podcast like are who might who might be your your top three like most important people to you who have helped like was, shape shape you or, or guide you yes yeah see, i was very lucky i just i think um it's the book uh wonder of boys michael Guerin. so what they track the whole world and the main thing that shows success or um among boys as they enter manhood and later on in life is did they have multiple families growing up so you're you have your primary family but if you only spend time with them and not maybe maybe the neighbors have kind of taken you in or adopted or there's a special uncle or a teacher mentor or a place you work that you know they created these multiple families so you don't just have one you have multiple you're part of a network a community so I was lucky to be a part of so many of those um, multiple families in, a, in an unbelievable neighborhood grandparents uncles places I work that I still connect with after 40 years or 30 years, they're still friends. So I was mentored by so many people. I was very lucky. So most, you know, you get these kids that are isolated. They don't have that. So, and you know what? Mentors don't seek you out. Um, You have to seek out. I think that's a great quote is you have to go seek out your mentors. So if there's some older person that's amazing skills and has all this knowledge and wisdom you have to go talk to that person all the time you have to approach them and they they will take you on but you have to you have to go seek the mentors i had all kind i was always um obsessed with uh the older generation that had to do everything during the great depression i had a lot of older mentors i would talk to and i would eat lunch with um world war ii vets and in uh, high school every Wednesday. Um, we called it Chinese Wednesday, Wally Clem- or Wally uh, Tatarski and uh, Boo Boo Bear, Ed Scoff. He was a World War II bomber. And so they'd tell stories and we'd, we'd listen. It was me and my other friends. So I had these really special experiences. But again, I, I had to seek them out. I said, hey, we're going to China. We want to hear, we want to hear these stories. They, you want to hear these things? And we they talk for hours every every Wednesday. So we got for years. So again, we, you got to seek out your mentors, the youth, we have a youth culture. They don't know everything. Seek someone out that's older. Um, that's been around the block that has some wisdom. It could just be a random neighbor out there. That's not on Instagram with 5 million hits, but is amazingly talented and skilled and has done all these things. There are special people everywhere. And I think the internet kind of shelters, out those people and there's mentors just down the block and you don't even know it don't even know it i'm always meeting like amazing people but i guess i'm always been kind of amazed by other people so the answer is not it's not on your phone it's It's not on your phone it's in your it's in your community yeah you're right it's that's a good analogy you got to seek find your mentor seek them out now you can seek out your mentors could be a podcaster i mean a lot of youth millennials they love joe rogan and people might not agree with every podcast, so what? But uh, he's getting kids to read books um, or follow someone that might be a thinker and think about things that have never would have occurred to them. Yeah. You know, that's putting them in other directions. I think that's important. I, my favorite podcaster, I would say my mentor right now would be, and I'm, again, I seek him out. I go and look, is Art of Manliness, Brett McKay. I think he just, the books he puts out and the content, you if I could that, shut the internet down, I would leave three websites. One of them would be Art of Manliness. You could recreate civilization. 
Artie Manliness. Is that yeah. uh, who's the the author? Is what's Brett his name? McKay. So Brett he, McKay. he and his wife run the website, and it's just just it's just absolutely amazing. I mean, lo- most of the stuff I get my information and books and yeah. goes off in tangents from that site. But he's I look at him as a as a as he's a he's a mentor for for culture and meaning in our society right now. I really think. What about what great. about the the women that might be listening to this would they get something out of the art of manliness podcast too oh, or for sure okay. yeah his wife's working with it and just it sounds patriarchal the original you know when it was developed it was kind of like whoa something for men but now but if you see the people that are on the podcast if you listen to them it's not um pushing an agenda it's, there's no agenda yeah. it's just the if there was an agenda, it's like making you a better person, kinder, cultured, um, thinking, you know, like these are the, these are the type of anything. It's the type of men and women we want in society. It's, you know, it's just, uh, and so it gives you meaning and shows you like, Oh, that's, we could, you could do that. It's, you're always trying to be a, it's helping you become a better person, um, internally and externally. Well, it sounds to me like, the we've got a potentially a few more years to get through the crisis period if if we believe uh from what's taught in that book the fourth turning and i'm excited to get to the next phase of of humanity which would be uh i guess is the next period the high, a high period yeah and you know that to me the high period gives me hope i hope we can i think we're going to cross into it with a it's not going to be a, maybe there'll be a fast crash, but again, you know, we've got, it's not death by a thousand cuts like the Roman empire, but kind of in a way where we're going to have to do more with less or just do less with less. And we're going to have to be happy with that. And maybe we will see that just constantly updating and checking the status of others and comparing ourselves against it non-stop and being so virtual that we might go back into the real world i think there's primal you're seeing primal movements all over so we're tapping into like our inner strengths and a lot of these podcasters and health people we're seeing like true human potential like reaching bounds in extreme sports and ultra running and and you know diets and medicine and we're and psychedelics and we're seeing all this stuff and will it all conglomerate? And I see that as positive. Like all these things are opening up. Well, what are we going to, can, can, what are we going to do with them? And I guess there's a lot of people struggling that don't even understand these concepts. And, uh, you know, I, it starts with, you know, education and people don't want to be educated if they want to be, take the route of just the comfort and ease and leisure it's tough to break them out of that. So I think you, I, there's one vision I think we got to take. It's like, um, don't try to save the world. You you know, nobody's not, everybody's going to change, but take the monastic vision, which is uh, the Irish monks preserve basically Greek culture for us. Or we would have nothing. They kept it going and preserved all the old writings and, you know, anything, you know, all your Seneca stuff uh, it, it was supposedly preserved by the monks that would pass it on. 
and they really didn't even know its purpose until it was reawakened during the Renaissance. And, uh, you know, so take the monastic, take the best of what is in society and promote it and promote the best and keep the best, the timeless stuff, not this frivolous little quick instant stuff. Let's stay, let's try to find more timeless things, things of that can last long lasting. I don't know if I'm making sense, but I see that. Yeah. As, well, yeah. I was actually, I mean, uh, I was going to kind of get to this, like the shit. So the show's called, uh, what do you wish they taught in school? Oh, okay. I don't know if you, I, I always like to leave the listener with something, but if there was one thing that you wish that that was taught in school, but you didn't learn it in school and maybe we should be teaching it. What do you think that would be? I think it was, we've kind of like been uh, doing that. We've been taking the whole show to answer that, but uh, (laughs) I want to just see if we can summarize a maybe a leave something with the, leave the people with, with one thing to take home. And I, I think, yeah, now we, we are understanding, but uh, I mean, just the real history of the country. I mean, well, I think we were told a false history, um, not necessarily false, but just a perspective of wars and leaders and versus uh, people and what our country has done in other countries for profit and for corporations. And I think once I learned that like a people's history of the United States, so what went on in Guatemala or Nicaragua and why were we overthrowing democratically elected leaders in the Middle East? But, you know, like, what, what, what are the real histories? I, got you know, a... <laughs> like, I think I think people are starting to see that now. That was one thing I wish they had taught me, but I learned that I got to I might have to have you redo that. All right. <laughs> Hold on one second. No worries. Uh, I'm just finishing. Uh, can you just? Uh, <laughs> I, I like what you were saying, actually. Like, so just about the the the, the kids just charge the uh, the charge the room here. <laughs> but uh, so um, yeah, the history the history of our of our country. Um, take me through that one more time. So yeah, just I think we need to focus than um, not just the rights we've done, but, you know, the wrongs we've committed and why and, and you know, how the, how the system works. But it's, that's, again, that's a complex story, but certain eye-opening moments, like why did we overthrow democratically elected leaders in certain countries and have mass populations, you know, murdered or killed or run by, you know, CIA or, CIA organizations or stuff you, you, we, we've read just was what, what, you know, we never read this in the book history books. And, you know, we've got kind of some, some dirty history and we've got some positive history. So we need to know both. And so how we can become better in the future. And uh, I, I think that's, you know, kind of where the kids don't know that they've got to find it out on their own. Now, basically, you go on the internet and you can run one conspiracy theory down to the other, and where's your proof and this and that. But I mean, we can look at everything that's declassified and we know what happened. And, you know, why did we do this in just the name of profit versus, you know, people? And I think that the future might be, 
you know, my hope is that, you know, corporations are endowed to take care of these the stakeholders, not the stockholders in the future in our new high period. So the community, the people that work there. And uh, right now it's ingrained by law that a corporate charter is endowed to take care of the stockholders and that's it. And that's, that's the rule. So what happens happens because of that. And we might see in our next high period, a, a, a shift. And that's my hope. And I think from there, that would be a people would be that'd be the most democratic thing that could ever happen. And uh, because right now, um, economic institutions are not democratic at all. They're top down, and and uh, there some are. There are some co-ops, and there's some things that are worker controlled and owned. But I think that would open up uh, a true new high period and cooperation and less anxiety and people uh, more functioning, happy society. So gross domestic happiness will go up. That's my hope. Well, so. I love your, love your optimism. And, uh, I think that's a, probably a good place to, to end it. Thanks. All right, uh, sounds good. Thanks so much. This was, this was awesome. Thanks for, all right. Thanks Mike. It's yeah. just good to throw out some ideas and I mean, if you've got, you know, this is the perfect format for just, going in different directions and not overthinking if we were yeah. we couldn't i don't think we could have written that no and the text that yeah, would have great. taken texting is inefficient it's an electronic telegraph it would have taken us no you, you're, you're missing you friendships are lost over text <laughs> hey that was awesome though thanks so much all right take a good day easy. doug get off your phone for today <laughs> yeah i'm actually on the computer so you're on the computer I let me show you my phone like well uh <laughs> it's amazing all right man that was great bye-bye i always love talking to colin he's such a good thinker well that wraps it up for this week it's good to be back doing a podcast after a couple year hiatus let me know what you think shoot me a an email or something on social media and We'll see you next time. contained in this podcast is for educational and informational purposes only and do not represent any organization and are not intended as financial advice, diagnosis, treatment, or a substitute for professional medical advice. Please consult a local physician or health care professional for your specific health care or medical needs or concerns.